recorded live. What the heck happened there? That music sounded sick. Hello, this is William Fink, Christogenia.org. This is Christogenia on Talk Show. Praise Yahweh. Tonight we have, um, well, well, I have some sad news. Cheryl Ott, who's our good sister and who has helped us out here um, invaluably over the last few years. She's very sick right now. She, um, she, she has some tumors that are pretty serious, and she's in our prayers. And we hope that she's also in yours. Tonight, I'm sitting here with Clifton Emmerheiser, and, and we're going to talk about Clifton's recent paper, The Battle for the Priesthood. It, it's not, well, well I'm going to let Clifton, I'm going to let Clifton introduce his paper. I'm not going to say anything about it. I'm on the road. I'm at Clifton's house and enjoying my, my stay with him. It's the first time that we've met after knowing each other for about 14, 14, 15 years, I think. It's been a while, right? So, so um, it, it's very enjoyable, and and, um, and we're going to do programs together here this week and next week, so, so it should be pretty interesting. Clifton, would you like to introduce your paper? Yes. Um, uh, it's a battle for the priesthood, and I might mention that I wrote on this subject um, quite some time ago, and I actually forgot that I wrote on wrote on it before, but uh, you'll find it in uh, my uh, special notice to all who deny to seed line number 23, uh, although uh, with the writing of this one, it's more complete uh, uh, in its scope, and and now I'll uh, start reading from, uh, uh, you know, the manuscript of this um, particular subject. What is virtually overlooked in the story of Cain and Abel in the fourth chapter of Genesis is the fact that they were both offering a sacrifice, and in the Bible only priests were authorized to do so. Secondly, unless circumstances prevented it, it was always the firstborn son that was given that uh, given this dignity. Inasmuch as we understand that Eve was the mother of both Cain and Abel, it is obvious that Cain was the firstborn of the serpent, i.e. Satan, and that uh, Abel uh, was the firstborn of Adam, and I think uh, Bill has some comments here. Well, well, we'd like to establish that the firstborn son is indeed traditionally the family priest, and, and we're going to establish that throughout this paper. But, but I'd like to cite several scriptures. That the firstborn son alone was the family priest is evident in two ways. First, that Noah was specifically called the eighth preacher of righteousness, as Peter calls him in 2 Peter 2.4, where he says, and he did not spare the old society, but he had kept Noah, the eighth proclaimer, in the Christogenian New Testament, the eighth proclaimer of righteousness, having brought a deluge upon the society of the impious. We see an ex, and, and we're going to talk about that at length later on in this, in, in this presentation. We see in Exodus chapter 4, verses 21 through 23, 
that Israel collectively was counted as Yahweh's firstborn in order to be his servant. That's what a priest is. A priest is an individual that, that performs a service on behalf of God, or in pagan Greek society, on behalf of a God, right? In Exodus chapter 4, verses 21 through 23, and, and this is a theme which is evident throughout the Bible, and we're going to see it at 1 Peter 2, 9, and in Revelation chapter 22. Here's what we have in Exodus. And Yahweh said unto Moses, when thou goest to return unto Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand. But I will harden his heart, that he shall not let the people go. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith Yahweh, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. You know, when a father has children, the sons that refuse to do the will of the father lose the position of firstborn. Esau lost the position of firstborn to Jacob, and that's described in Genesis chapters 28 and 29. Isaac specifically said to Jacob that if he obeys and if he goes and takes a wife of the daughters of his kindred, then he will inherit the promises that were promised to Abraham. They're the promises that Esau forfeited when he race mixed when he despised and sold his birthright. Reuben defiled his father's bed. And then the, the benefits that the firstborn son had were distributed amongst the other sons. Reuben forfeited the, the enjoyments and privileges of the firstborn. He forfeited the family priesthood being one of those items. He forfeited the double portion. So here we see that Yahweh out of our entire Adamic race, selects Israel as his firstborn in order to serve him. That's why we are a nation of kings and priests to Yahweh, because he chose us as his firstborn. He, in turn, slew the firstborn of Egypt to compel the Egyptians to give him his firstborn. That was Egypt's punishment. And, and he explains that later. Now, in 1 Peter 2.9, it says, but you are an elect race, a priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, so that you should proclaim the virtues for which from out of darkness you have been called into the wonder of his light. Yahweh was talking to Israel in Exodus 4. Peter was writing to dispersed Israel in his second epistle. He's talking to the same people. 
Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2. And he showed to me a river of the water of life, bright as crystal coming out from the throne of Yahweh and of the Lamb. In the middle of her street, and with the river on the one side and the other, is the tree of life, producing 12 fruits, yield to its fruits by month, and the leaves of the tree, the leaves, the 12 fruits are Israel. The leaves of the tree are Israel. I am the vine, you are the branches. The leaves are for the, of the tree are for the service of the nations. That has to be those Adamic nations of the resurrection. All of the other people who are not written the book of life are cast into the lake of fire by this point, and, and we see that we, the children of Israel, shall be priests to Yahweh, and, and, and serve him, both him and the Adamic nations of the resurrection. That's how I read Revelation chapter 22. We see that after the sons of Levi were each assigned certain priestly duties. And this is outlined in Numbers chapters 3 and 4. In Numbers chapter 16, Korah had insisted that he be able to share in some of those duties which were not assigned to him, which is contrary to what Yahweh had outlined. And this is very pertinent to the story of Cain and Abel. Korah was a grandson of Kohath through Izhar. The Kohathites had a share in the care of the tabernacle, but they did not have a share in the performing of the sacrifices. The sons of Eleazar, Eleazar was Aaron's firstborn son, but he was born third. He was the firstborn son because the first two sons rebelled. We see that Nadab and Abihu rebelled. They brought strange fire into the camp of the Israelites, and they were destroyed for that. That was before the gainsaying of Korah. It was before the contention of Korah. Eleazar was the third son but the firstborn son position fell to him because his two older brothers had rebelled and were destroyed. Eleazar had the service of the incense and the meat offerings. Korah, we see in Numbers chapter 16, he wanted to make sacrifices, and that was contrary to God's will, and therefore he was destroyed. If Abel was challenging Cain, for the priesthood and sacrificing unbelievable too should have been destroyed. Listen, you might want to comment on, on some of that. Uh, it's up to you. Yeah, um, it's important to understand that uh, if Yahweh is going to judge one incident a certain way, another incident uh, that's very similar. He's going to have to judge both of them the same, or he isn't a just God. Uh, Abel and Korah. So that would have necessitated uh, the death of Abel uh, offering a sacrifice when he wasn't supposed to, because uh, as a fundamentalist and uh, the non-seed liners and the different people in error believe, they believe that... uh, Cain was actually a son of Adam, and, and uh, if he was a son of Adam, that would have necessitated, if, if Abel was uh, uh, offering a sacrifice, 
he, he was doing something he shouldn't have been doing, and able under a circumstance like that um, uh, should have been put to death. But we read that uh, Abel had righteous blood. So, so evidently, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people uh, don't understand some of the things that's going on in the Bible. Because it is a subject of such uh, great magnitude, we must prioritize our investigation of it with an eye on the subject at hand. It may come as a surprise to many of you. The symbol of the shepherd kings is the sphinx, and the first shepherd king was Adam. The priesthood was uh, called the Order of Melchizedek. Howard B. Rand in Destiny Magazine, October 1962, wrote an article, uh, Enoch's Mission and Shem's Responsibility, uh, 1962 Destiny Yearbook, pages um, 201 or t- uh, and uh, 2 to 204. Now, quoting that in part, and th- this is Rand, um, we're, we're quoting Rand. The order of Melchizedek, when Shem with his followers came out of Egypt, they founded at Jerusalem the city destined to destined to become the city of David and also the capital of the kingdom of God when Jesus Christ, who is of the order of Melchizedek, returns to rule as king of kings and lord of lords. Uh, continuing with um, Rand's uh, quote, the priestly order of Melchizedek began with Adam and the preachers of righteousness from Adam to Noah were of this order. Noah is recorded as the eighth preacher of righteousness in Second Peter 2.5. The fifth chapter of Genesis begins, quote, This is the book of the generations of Adam, and no one of the line of Cain is recorded there. Uh, as stated in um, uh, Primogenesis. Primogenesis is a book by Howard Rand, right? Yes. Uh, it's his, probably his major work, right? So I, I'm, I'm quoting from uh, uh, two different places of Rand's work. One's in, the, in uh, his uh, October issue of Destiny, and this is from uh, Primogenesis, um, and I will I will continue uh, to quote here, and and quoting Rand here the priestly order of Melchizedek. I, I got I got that already. Okay, <clears throat> continuing with the um, Rand's uh, quotation here, and I, I didn't mean to go back a paragraph. Um, Noah was the tenth in generation. The reason he was but the eighth in priestly line was because Enoch was translated before his father died and did not come to the priestly uh, office, Genesis 5:24. Methuselah, the son of Enoch, took the office directly from his grandfather, Jared, the father of uh, Enoch, Methuselah, 
in turn outlived his son Lamech, so the office passed directly to his grandson. Noah, the son of Lamech, uh, Genesis uh, 5.27. Noah, therefore, became the eighth preacher of righteousness, uh, though the tenth in generation, because these two, Enoch and Lamech, never succeeded in the priestly office, uh, Prima Genesis, page 44. This would make the uh, Melchizedek priesthood succession from Adam downwards to Noah, thus, one Abel, two Seth, three Enos, four Canaan, five Mahalahiel, six Jared, seven Methuselah, eight Noah. And I will note here, I rate and uh, ran only about 50% generally, uh, uh, but where he is right, he's outstanding. Uh, and now Bill will uh, uh, make some comments about this further. Well, well, I'm surprised that Rand did so well with this, with, with his understanding of this passage in 2 Peter, because I, I, I never read Rand's primogenesis. So far as I remember, I never read that interpretation of 2 Peter everywhere, anywhere, and, and that's because it's especially hard to see the truth of 2 Peter 2.5 unless you read the Greek. There's no doubt in Greek that Noah was the eighth preacher of righteousness. But mainstream clerics don't understand just how that could be. And, and that passage is mistranslated everywhere. It, it's, it's, you, it's every single major translation I've seen mistranslates 2 Peter 2.5. And it's incredible their lack of understanding some of the things that they substitute for what the Greek actually says. And, and we might discuss that further later, but, but it's, um, it, it's really incredible to me. So, so it's much to Rand's credit that he got that right. Uh, the, the battle for the priesthood. See, William, I, I better go to the next page. <laughs> um, find my place where uh, I... In this line of preachers of righteousness, Shem, uh, Noah's son, uh, became the ninth. As, now, this is Rand. Uh, I'm quoting Rand here. Uh, as stated in Primogenesis. Uh, continuing with Rand. Uh, the order of Melchizedek and its uh, earthly representation began with Adam as the first preacher of righteousness. Noah was the eighth, and Shem was the ninth. Uh, so also Christ glorified not himself uh, to be made an high priest, but he that uh, said unto him, Thou art my son, uh, today I have begotten thee, uh, as he saith also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And I should have included quotes here uh, for that um, passage. That's Hebrews 5, uh, verses 5 and 6. Now, con continuing with uh, quoting from Rand, in his ministry, he was a prophet. In, uh, in his atonement, he was a priest. When he returns, he is to be king. 
Thus, in the order of Melchizedek, he is a prophet, priest, and king. Primogenesis, uh, pages 66 and 67. Continuing to quote, quoting from Rand, the order of master shepherds. The Bible also records a line of master shepherds beginning with uh, these preachers of righteousness um, who wore the shepherd's garb as the insignia of office. From Abraham to John the Baptist in each generation, there were those who were members of the ancient and honorable order. Then Jesus Christ uh, associated himself with the, this office, becoming the grand master of the order of master shepherds. Quote, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth, uh, knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, unquote. John 10, verses uh, 14 and 15. Now, uh, going to some of my own statements, uh, Adam was not Cain's father. All one need do to verify this significant biblical fact is to turn to Jude 14, which states, uh, quote, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, Yahshua cometh with ten thousand of his saints, unquote. Uh, then I continue. Uh, then, if you will turn to bo uh, both Genesis 5, verses 1 through 18, and Luke 3, verses uh, 37 and 38, and count from Adam to Enoch, you can clearly see there are only six listed. Jude didn't make a mistake when he uh, pointed uh, to Enoch as being the seventh from Adam, for he was including uh, prophet and master shepherd Abel in his uh, calculations. Hebrews 11.4 It should be noted that Jude didn't say uh, the seventh generation from Adam or for Enoch was the sixth in that category. Many commentaries agree on this point. But uh, how can this be? And I'm continuing with my own remarks. If Abel is uh, included, uh, a proper list would uh, then be thus. One, Abel. Two, Seth. Three, Enos. Enos. Uh, four, Canaan. Five, Mahalahiel. Six, Jared. And seven, Enoch. It should be noted that uh, both the uh, Genesis, Genesis and Luke accounts have a missing man which uh, can only be filled with Abel. Should one try to force Cain into Adam's genealogy, Enoch would then be the eighth from Adam. At this juncture, one has only one choice uh, of two, Cain or Abel. You can't have both. Um, to exclude both Abel and Cain is also damning, for it makes Enoch the sixth from Adam. 
some will argue that uh, one should start counting with Adam as number one, but the Greek doesn't support this idea. Wittingly or unwittingly, the Antichrist anti-seedliners have chosen Cain to fill that spot, for they uh, spuriously claim Cain was Adam's authentic son. A second witness uh, to the fact that Abel should be listed as the missing man is Genesis 4.25, which says, quote, and Adam knew his wife, uh, and I got uh, some brackets here, yet again, not again and again, uh, and that would be numbers uh, in the Hebrew uh, 5750 uh, from Gesinius, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For Elohim, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead in, in the place of Abel whom Cain slew, unquote. If, as some claim, Cain was kicked out of the family for murdering Abel, Seth would have been the replacement for Cain, not Abel. Evidently, the anti-sea liners have a problem counting to seven. So uh, we will uh, clear that up. Matthew 23, 35. Now I'm continuing with my own material. Matthew 23, 35 indicates that Abel was among the, quote, righteous, unquote. Abel was righteous for the same reason as Noah, for he was perfect in his genealogy generations. At this point, it might be well to quote again the Targum of Jonathan, uh, Genesis 4.1, And Adam knew his uh, wife Eve, who was pregnant by the angel Samuel, and she uh, conceived and bare Cain, and he was like the heavenly beings and not like earthly beings, and she said, I have acquired a man, the angel of the Lord, unquote. Now, continuing uh, with my own material, in verses uh, 3 and 4, we are told that both Cain and Abel brought offerings unto Yahweh, and that there was respect for Abel's, but no respect for Cain's. Now, only a priest can offer a sacrifice, so both Cain and Abel were priests. Therefore, Abel was the firstborn of Adam, and Cain was the firstborn of Satan. Abel's sacrifice was accepted of Yahweh, not because he was the firstborn of Eve, but because he was the firstborn of Eve by Adam. When we get this straightened out in our minds, we can comprehend that Enoch was the seventh priest from Adam. Abel was priest number one from Adam. Seth was priest number two from Adam as a replacement for Abel. Uh, Enos was a priest number three from Adam. Canaan was priest number four from Adam. Mahalahiel was priest number five from Adam. Jared was priest number six from Adam. 
And Enoch was priest number seven from Adam. As for Cain, he was the firstborn priest of... He, yeah, I'll read that over again. I kind of missed, missed it up. As for Cain, he was the firstborn priest of Satan, birthed by Eve. Now, there uh, were many more sons born to uh, these patriarchs between Adam and Enoch, but only the firstborn sons uh, were born to the priesthood, except Seth, who was a substitute for Abel. And I think Bill will, uh, has some comments here. Well, well, but first we have to say that I don't really think that Luke is missing Abel. It could have been mentioned that Luke was, um, you know, Luke could have mentioned that Seth was raising up seed under Abel because Seth was a replacement for Abel, and that's what the brother is to do, right? I mean, the children of Seth are really being raised up to Abel, I mean, in place of Abel, and, and they can't be raised up in place of Cain. Cain has to be a priest. Does Cain have to be a priest? He has to be a priest. He's trying to make a sacrifice. Or he's pretending. He's putting a claim to a priesthood that he doesn't deserve. Abel has to be a priest. Or he's making a claim to a priesthood that he doesn't deserve. Only one son, and we've seen that in the other scriptures that I cited, should be the family priest. And only one son should make the sacrifices and, and those, that position falls to the one son. Enoch is not the seventh man from Adam. Enoch is not the seventh generation from Adam. Enoch is not the seventh of anything except the seventh in the firstborn line and the line of priests. Melchizedek was the, the preacher of righteousness. Noah was the eighth preacher of righteousness. Melchizedek means king of righteousness, and that position was passed down from Adam, and Abel would have had it, but he was killed before Adam died, so Seth re ultimately received it after the death of Adam, and it carried down, and that is what 2 Peter is counting, because Noah would be the tenth priest from Adam. If we counted the firstborn son down the line, the way we count Enoch being the seventh from, from Adam, Enoch has to be the seventh priest from Adam because he's not the seventh preacher of righteousness. Enoch left this world before his father did. So Enoch never held that title. And, and when we count the preachers of righteousness to Noah, we count eighth because Enoch never held the title because he did not outlive his father on the earth. Lamech never held the title, because he did not outlive his father on the earth. So even though Noah was the tenth priest, he would have been the, the eighth preacher of righteousness, because that title is used of the oldest living patriarch of the firstborn sons of the Adamic line. And, and that's clear the way Peter uses that in 2 Peter 2.5, but Jude must be referring to the priesthood. Jude has to be referring to the priest. That's the only thing that makes sense. And only Cain or Abel can be the family priest. They both can't be because 
Ben Jude would have had the number Enoch the eighth, not the seventh. So, so it's Jude also connected. Um, Jude connected the way of Cain to the gainsaying of Korah. Cain attempted to be the family priest, and his sacrifice was rejected. The gainsaying of Korah, as Jude puts it in Jude verse 11, where he says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah, as we've demonstrated the gainsaying of Korah was that Korah wanted to take part in the sacrifices that belonged to his elder uncle, Eleazar. Eleazar was the eldest, was counted to be the eldest son of Aaron after his two older brothers were slain in their rebellion. Eleazar was appointed out of all the sons of Aaron to, to have his family, his sons, be the priests that make the sacrifices because he's the oldest son of Aaron. It's that simple. So we see Korah wanted to challenge Eleazar for that, and Moses told him in Numbers chapter 16, okay, go ahead and get your incense of fire, and Korah did it, and Korah was consumed. And him and his family were, were destroyed because of that, because Korah thought that he could make sacrifices even though Yahweh appointed them to Eleazar. So here we see the same thing. We see one son can be the priest who makes the sacrifices. Well, Cain is not Adam's son. Yahweh will not accept his sacrifice, and Yahweh didn't. Abel, in order for Abel to be attempting to make sacrifices, he must have deserved the role of priest. And he could only... He can only make that claim legitimately if indeed he is the oldest son of Adam, period. Where do, where do I pick yeah, up? You were with, um, Eve was in the transgression. That's the next section okay. of the paper. Okay. <clears throat> uh, okay, I wasn't just sure where I should start in here, but uh, I'll go to uh, a work of my own here and um and and I, I have the heading on it. Eve was in the transgression. First Timothy two fourteen quote and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. And Bill will have something to say about that because I don't think I have everything exactly right on this, but uh we'll take care of that as we go. Some commentaries make the argument uh, that the deception was a matter of relativity, that both Adam and Eve were deceived and were in the transgression, but that Eve's deception was more uh, extensive than Adam's. However, the Greek doesn't support that opinion, and one must read into the text something that isn't there. The Greek simply states uh, that, quote, Eve was, in, Eve was deceived and in the transgression, unquote, period. The word transgression, you know, quote, un, uh, the word 
quote, translation, uh, transgression, unquote, in the Greek requires an act uh, rather than only a mental seduction, as the anti-seedliners claim. The word for, quote, translation, transgression, rather, unquote, is First uh, Timothy 2.14, is... Uh, number uh, 3847 uh, in Strong's, and in the Greek uh, word, uh, it, it is the Greek word parabasis, or uh, transgress, wrongdoing, law-breaking. In other words, there must be something to transgress before there can be a transgression. If his, quote, transgression was a thought crime, as the uh, seed liners allege, then we're all in trouble. Uh, the progression of sin is explained at James 1, 14 and 15. Uh, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, then when, he, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And Bill will have some comment here. Yes, I do have some comments on that. But when the, um, the, the King James Version of the Bible here in, in this passage in 2 Timothy 2, it is poorly translated. From the way the King James reads... And I think you have it above here. And Adam was deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. The way the King James reads, from that, some people get the idea that perhaps Adam did not sin. While the entire context of Scripture informs us that Adam did indeed sin, and especially in Romans chapter 8, Paul says that Adam sinned. He says it explicitly. He says that sin entered the world through Adam, not through Eve. Now, that, that's, that the Christogenian New Testament properly reads 2 Timothy 2.14, and, and it should be read in this manner. And Adam was not deceived. Adam was not deceived. He was not beguiled by the serpent. Adam sinned purposefully. He sinned willfully. Adam was not deceived, but the woman had been thoroughly beguiled, and that could have been translated thoroughly seduced, when the transgression occurred. In other words, there was definitely a transgression, and Adam and Eve both were responsible for it. Of course, Adam blamed the woman. That was the first thing he did, right? He didn't say the devil made me do it. He said the woman made me do it. Well, well Adam was not deceived, and Eve was deceived when the transgression occurred. Now, the King James Version, the translation there is possible, it's not an impossible reading of the Greek, but it defies the context of the scripture. And it implies that Adam didn't sin. Adam surely sinned. And, and my translation is just, the Greek is just as proper, but it's even better in the context of scripture. Because we know that Adam sinned. Um. Then um, I, I, I quoted a short, uh, I have a heading, a subheading, I should say, Noah, eighth preacher of righteousness. At 2 Peter 2.5, we read, 
and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And so Bill has some uh, critical material here. Well, well, the Christian New Testament has this passage in part, and he did not spare of the old society, but he had kept Noah, the eighth proclaimer of righteousness, having brought a deluge upon the society or the world of the impious. It's to Howard Rand's credit that he understood the Greek of this passage. Many, in, in most mainstream commentators, obviously do not understand the Greek to this passage, even though the Greek is plain. I can look at the Greek and transliterally, and the Greek can't say anything except Noah is the eighth proclaimer of righteousness. And, and that's by the rules of Greek grammar. They, they, half of the translations I checked talking to Clifton this morning about this program said that Noah was saved with seven others. They're confusing Peter's statement here with the events of the flood. The words with seven others are not in the Greek anywhere. I don't know how you can take an adjective, eighth, which modifies the noun, which is preacher or proclaimer in my translation, and change that into the idea of seven others when it says eighth preacher. It doesn't say anything else. That they're reading that their opinions into their translation. They formulated their doctrine, and they're going to go make the Greek say what they think their doctrine should make the Greek say, rather than understanding the Greek and formulating their doctrine from what the Greek actually says. They have their minds made up before they even translate the passage, and they pervert it. And, and it's that all those Bibles that say and others are just absolutely dishonest. Other translations have Noah being the eighth person or Noah being the eighth man. And Noah can't be the eighth man. First, he's the tenth generation from Adam. Second, all of the patriarchs, after they had their first sons, had other sons and daughters. Noah, there could have been 100,000 Adamic men at the time that Noah was born, all descended from Adam. There could have easily been 100,000. Because every generation, we see an Adam lived 130 years and begot Seth, and he lived 800 more years and begot sons and daughters. And then Seth lived X number of years and begot his son and lived men Enos, and Enos, and, and then Seth, after he begot Enos, lived so many more years and begot so many more sons and daughters. Noah wasn't the eighth man. Noah wasn't the eighth generation. Noah wasn't anything but the eighth preacher of righteousness, which is what the Greek says. And all those, other, all those mainstream translations reading this verse are absolutely dishonest about what the Greek says because they don't understand what it means by the term eighth preacher of righteousness. So they have to pervert it to refer to something which it doesn't refer to. And like you said, Clifton, and, and your next paragraph begins, use this verse with the eight people who were on Noah's Ark, but it has nothing to do with the Ark. Noah's the eighth preacher of righteousness. And, and I'm surprised that Rand got that right, but it's much to his credit. And, and it shows that he could at least read a lot of the Greek, right? 
Yeah, many many confuse this verse uh, with the eight people on uh, who are on Noah's Ark. Rather, at this passage, we have encountered another occasion <clears throat> where the Melchizedek priesthood is counted from Adam. Don't let anyone ever try to make you believe that 2 Peter 2.5 is speaking of the eight people on Noah's Ark. Adam Clark errantly claims that, uh, volume 6, page 516, but he is wrong. Rather, that is found at uh, uh, 1 Peter uh, 3.20. Yes, it does speak of the, the uh, eight, yeah. The eight souls were, uh, were saved by water at 1 Peter 3.20 has absolutely nothing to do with the uh, person, uh, a preacher of righteousness at uh, 2 Peter 2.5. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown in their commentary, volume 6, page uh, 623, do a little better, stating eight, i.e. Noah and seven others. This is still incorrect, <clears throat> as Second Peter uh, two five reads: Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. There's a lot of difference between Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, and Noah and seven others. For who are the others? Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown uh, goes on to state, uh, contrasted with uh, the. Uh, the densely uh, peopled world of the ungodly, so they err uh, by not stressing a preacher of righteousness. And, and let me just say that all the mainstream, the King James Version adds the word person to the text. They add the word ah, which is the indefinite article. They add that to the text. Those words are not in the Greek. And, and the Greek says, you, you see, the word eighth is an adjective. And when an adjective modifies a noun, it appears in the same case and number as the noun that it modifies. And they don't have to be in any particular order in the Greek sentence. But here they are in a particular order. They bracket the words Noah and of righteousness. And that bracketing in Greek shows that those words bracketing the phrase Noah of righteousness, those two words, that they're re they are what they are referring to. And when eighth and picture <laughs> appear in the same number and, and case, they have to be, it, it, it's a rule of Greek grammar that eighth is modifying preacher. So the word eighth is modifying the noun preacher, so it must mean eighth preacher. And that's a grammatical um, it, it's a grammatical certainty in Greek that the Greek refers to the eighth preacher. To understand that, we don't have to add the word person. We don't have to add the indefinite article a or a. Noah is the eighth preacher of righteousness. Let's count those eight preachers of righteousness. When we get from Adam to Noah, we find there were ten generations of the firstborn eldest son. But two of those men left the earth before their fathers did, they never held the office of preacher of righteousness because they were never the eldest living in the line of firstborn sons during their lifetime. So there were eight preachers of righteousness 
up to and including Noah? Well, uh, like the old story goes, but this is not all the story. Uh, as we need to read verse 4, in addition to 2 Peter 2.5, which states, quote, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, unquote. Ron com, uh, Rand comments on this uh, in, in his uh, primogenesis, uh, pages 45 and 46. Quote, in the book of, and this is Rand's uh, quote here, in the book of Enoch, it is stated that the angels, the children of heaven, saw the daughters of men and observed that they were fair, so they married whomsoever they pleased. It is stated also that in the days of Jared, 200 uh, angels descended uh, for this purpose. The name Jared means uh, uh, to descend. Uh, the children of these uh, forbidden unions were great giants, and this is the origin of the stories of giants which have come down to us in the folklore of the race. Um, Rand continuing, moreover, uh, the book of uh, Enoch speaks of the secrets, powers, and practices learned by men taught of angels which resulted in great violence and sin. Peter was making reference to uh, this uh, eruption of angels in the time of Noah and the consequences when he said, quote, God spared not the angels that sin, unquote, 2 Peter 2, 4 and 5. Jude also um, re refers to this time when, the, uh, when he speaks of, quote, the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, unquote, Jude 6. Rand continuing, quote, whether or not men will believe it, the Bible teaches that demons do exist. It declares uh, they are disembodied spirits, and the evidence points to the fact that they are the spirits of those antediluvians whose mothers were mortal, but their fathers were immortal, whose bodies were destroyed in the deluge in the days of Noah. If this is true, it accounts for the um, um, restlessness of these disembodied spirits uh, speaking, uh, seeking to be clothed. The thoughts change here. Did you have something to yeah, say? Yeah, that's my note. I'm sorry. I probably forgot to highlight it for you. But the um, well, well, this is going to be the topic of tomorrow night's presentation here. The um, the paper on Christogenia, the problem with Genesis six one through four, is about it is all about this very thing, and that might be um interesting also. Most people tend to think that evil demons are first. And, and cause evil things to happen in the world. In truth, the apocryphal scriptures, such as Enoch, which Jude quotes, 
teach us that evil demons proceeded from the children of bastards, that this that these unrighteous unions, which are described in Genesis chapter 6, that the children, the offspring of these unions, when they were, became disembodied, when they died on the earth physically, that they are the source of evil demons. People of mixed races, you, you know, when men start messing around with Yahweh's creation and start mixing things up, you don't know what horrors you're going to end up with. We have no idea of the consequences of that. And we're told that these evil demons came from the spirits of those bastards. Well, continuing here uh, with my own comments here, few there are uh, who notice that the reason Noah uh, and his three sons and their wives were spared is because they were perfect in their genealogy. There is There wasn't a half-breed among them. Paul warned at Acts uh, 15.20 and the First Thessalonians 4.3 that we should avoid all pollutions of idols and unclean fornication. Um, and I put this in parentheses, interracial sexual intercourse. Uh, Acts uh, 15.20, uh, quote, but that we... But that we write unto you, but we, uh, let me start over here, Uh, quote, but that we write unto them that they abstain from uh, pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things uh, strangled and from blood. Change my paper over here to the next page. Well, well, why are you changing to the next page? I just want to say, that I believe that this commandment was added in Acts 15, in, in Acts 15, verse 20, because the Christians that, that had come from among the Greeks and, and from among the, um, the non-Judeans, the people that were not practicing the religion of Judea, didn't, that they wouldn't have perfectly understood the meaning in the Ten Commandments about adultery. And that's because the Greek translators of the Septuagint, while they chose a word but where, the, where, the tenth, where the Seventh Commandment says, thou shalt not commit adultery, the translators who wrote the Septuagint from the Hebrew manuscripts, they chose a word which actually comes, the word is moikos, it means adultery in Greek. It comes from a word which is mignumi, which means to mix. However, the Greeks did not use that word in the form of race mixing. They used that word in the, in, in, to mean um, the racial confusion, the confusion of the, the children that comes when people of the same race commit adultery by sleeping with each other's husbands and wives, that the kids would be mixed. You wouldn't know whose kid was whose. That's the way the Greeks used the term. So while the Septuagint translators chose a technically correct term to translate the commandment, it wasn't correct because it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't cognizant in the minds of the average Greek person that it meant that thou shalt not race mix or thou shalt not dilute your bloodline with the bloodlines of other races, which is what the seventh commandment means. So the apostles had to add that, line about fornication 
in at, at Acts chapter 15 only to clarify the original Hebrew meaning of the commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery means thou shalt not race mix. Fornication to the Greeks would have meant any kind of illicit sex, any kind of illicit sexual act, and among those illicit sexual acts was sex with people of other races and other tribes. The Greeks did not generally accept that, neither did the Romans. They called that fornication. They called those children bastards. That's what the Greeks would have understood the, the, the command of the apostles in Acts chapter 15, verse 20 to me. And bringing up another scripture, uh, uh, and, and this is some of my own comments here. First Thessalonians 4, 3, quote, For this is the will of God, even uh, your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, unquote. Among the holiness movements, they usually refer to sanctification as a second work of grace. But I believe it is so important to guard one's racial purity that it should be considered a first work of grace. We can obtain grace because we are sanctified, but two go hand in hand. If we do not accept our sanctification, we shall receive chastisement instead of grace. What Paul was trying to warn the Thessalonians was, so uh, your offspring will be born holy, don't uh, perpetrate any race mixing. Today we see a lot of unclean, unholy children coming into the world and they are nothing more than sewer creatures. Uh, One either has holy seed or nothing. Ezra speaks of holy seed at 9-2, quote, for they have taken of their daughters, uh, for they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and the rulers hath been chief in this trespass, unquote. Holy, clean seed was important to Ezra during his day, and it is still just as important in our day. Though the majority seem to be following Satan's agenda for interracial multiculturalism, there is an uh, even greater need for followers of Yahweh's program of segregation. At the moment, Satan seems to be winning his cause. But in the end, uh, he and his fallen will lose. Meanwhile, we must not give up the fight. This war is between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Uh, has been uh, This war has been going on now for nearly 7,500 years and uh, uh, will soon end with the defeat of... Uh, the Satan uh, uh, will end with the defeat of Satanic Canaanites and their father. Clifton Fowler and uh, Clifton L. Fowler, in his "The Angels That Sin," pages nine and ten, written in 1920, uh, nine commented, 
on this subject thusly. The foregone verses evidently set forth a terrible condition of sin out of which God judged the great multitude of uh, participants and delivered Noah and delivered Noah the participants in the awful sin which God here condemns are related to uh, to be two classes the angels quote the angels unquote and the inhabitants quote of uh, of the old world unquote this and This instantly arrests the attention of the, uh, is it? Of the student of God's word. Uh, Yeah, attention of the student of God's word, causing a vital important question immediately uh, to present itself. The question is, quote, how can angels and human beings sin together, unquote? But the Spirit of God does not here see fit to answer the question, but is content to present the simple fact that the judgment of God took in all who were guilty, uh, quote, spared not the angels, unquote, and spared not the old world, unquote. Furthermore, uh, we are informed as to the character of the judgment which a wise judge meted out upon both the uh, both the classes who had taken part in this sin, the angels and the uh, delivered. The angels are delivered into chains of darkness, and the judgment on mankind is declared in in the words, bringing forth the flood upon. Uh, the world of the ungodly. Uh, continuing with uh, uh, quoting him, uh, and this is uh, this is Fowler. Fowler. Um, could a uh, and I had, I had to add an a in brackets because the sentence didn't make any sense otherwise. Could a scripture statement be more satisfyingly clear? The passages from Peter's writings, which uh, we have been considering show that uh, angels being the human beings went into partner that the angel beings and humans went into a partnership of iniquity that God judged them both for their sinful deeds and that this unthinkable sin against God took place in the days of Noah but by faith Noah refused to participate and uh, being warned of God of the impending flood, prepared an ark uh, to the saving of his house, Hebrews 11.7. What we don't know, this this is my own comment here, uh, what we don't know about Cain and Abel is at what age they became full-grown men and uh, would have become responsible for their own actions. Today we consider a man uh, should be uh, 20 or 21 with the uh, patriarchs living uh, to their 900s, uh, give or take. Uh, It might 
have been more like 500 to uh, 200, uh, 150 rather, uh, more like 150 or 200 years. For example, according to the Septuagint, Mahalahiel was born when Canaan was uh, 170 years. Yet the scriptures, read in scripture, it is required that a candidate for priest be at least uh, 30 years old. Uh, do you have anything to say? Well, well it's evident that Cain and Abel should have been at least 30 years old. It, it doesn't matter that, that um, they were older. It, it's highly unlikely that they were younger. What, what matters, and, and you brought this point up earlier when we discussed this, were that Cain and Abel both went to sacrifice at the same time. And therefore, they come of age and into this um, ability to, to make sacrifices. They must have come of the proper age for the office of priest at the same time. So they must have been twins. Or, or they, if they weren't twins, they would be coming of age at different times. They would be entering into this, this age where they could make sacrifices at different times. And um, Abel wouldn't have been able to immediately challenge Cain because I see Abel's sacrifice as a challenge to Cain, that Cain didn't deserve the office, so Abel was sacrificing for that reason because he felt that he did. Well, uh, whatever the age of Cain and Abel were when uh, they made their separate sacrifices, it appears from Scripture to be simultaneous, suggesting they were fraternal twins and had arrived at a priestly age at the same time. It is obvious that uh, even then it was known that a blood sacrifice uh, represented the promise of a Redeemer to come, and Cain being born of uh, Eve by Satan was naturally repulsed at such an idea, so he deliberately offered a bloodless sacrifice tantamount to denying Christ even then. Uh, all we are told at Genesis uh, 4, uh, verses 4 and 5, in part is, And Yahweh had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had no respect, unquote. Whether it was Cain's, uh, whether it was Cain's mamzer status that was unsatisfactory, or his blood sacrifice, we are not told, but it was something very serious, maybe both. Have any comment? Well, well I, I believe that. Um, well, well, considering considering Cain's nature, yet you know the the. the the descendants of Cain have always been quick to shed blood, but usually they don't do it themselves. Usually they try to get other people to do it for them. I don't think that we could know that the sacrifice itself, and, and very often people try to point to the type of sacrifice that was offered as the reason why God rejected it. I don't, you know, the scripture doesn't state that was the reason. I don't think that could be known, but I believe that Cain, no matter what he sacrificed, it would have been rejected. Because he, he wasn't to be the family priest, that Abel was to be the family priest. Yeah, it wouldn't have made any difference uh, what he'd sacrificed, would it? 
Cain could have uh, could have had a blood sacrifice. It's still been rejected. Absolutely. Uh, at Genesis uh, 4.3, it states in part, quote, and in the process of time, it came to pass, and we are not informed how much time elapsed from the birth of Cain and Abel until they assumed the role of priest and presented their dissimilar uh, sacrifices before Yahweh. We are given a clue, though, as to the uh, period of the year when all of this happened, as it must have uh, have been, uh, it must have occurred um, during the uh, season when many of the vegetables were ripening. Uh, if in the northern hemisphere, the most likely period uh, would uh, compare with our July 15th until September 15th, inasmuch as Adam. Uh, that's a new sentence there. Inasmuch as Adam was uh, the first priest of the order of Melchizedek, no doubt Cain and Abel learned the necessity for a sacrifice from him and Eve. Uh, it is only when we consider Hebrews 11.4 that we can come to a fitting Conclusion to the matter, which states, quote, By faith Abel offered unto Yahweh a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained uh, witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it uh, he being dead yet speaketh. Today our most important task is to identify the seed of the woman i.e. we Israelites, versus the seed of the serpent, i.e. Cain and his descendants. Until we do this, we will continue our descent into oblivion. I have one comment on, on that last quote from Hebrews. And um, what was that, 11.4? I think yes, 11.4. And I'm going to read that from the Christian New Testament because if... Um, if God, and, and this is a mistranslation of the King James, and the Greek is difficult, and, and I've had contention from people over my translation of this passage, but my translation of this passage will speak for itself, because where it says, and, and the, God had sacrificed, I'm sorry, God had testified, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead yet speaks, what well, well the person that's dead and speaks is the person that's doing the testifying in that clause. And God is not dead, still speaking. My translation says, by faith, Abel offered to Yahweh a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he was accredited to be righteous, having testified of Yahweh by his gifts. Abel was doing the testifying of God by his gifts. And be, being slain because of it, he still speaks. Now, this again, it seems on the surface to be speaking of the quality of the gifts, but it's not necessarily speaking of the quality of the gifts. It can be just as easily speaking of the fact that Abel was making a sacrifice. And we have to ask ourselves, 
if the oldest son is the family priest, why is Abel making a sacrifice? Why trying to usurp his brother's authority? If in fact, Cain is his full brother and deserves that authority. That's the question that has to be asked. And Abel was challenging Cain. Abel was testifying of the righteousness of God because Abel knew that he deserved that office. And, and that's what Jude is counting when he counts Abel, and when he counts Enoch to be the seventh priest from Adam. And he has to be talking about the seventh priest because he can't be talking about the seventh man, the seventh preacher of righteousness, the seventh person. It has to mean the seventh priest. And, and that's my conclusion. Well, I don't have too much more to say on it uh, other than what I've written on it. Uh, well, okay. That was Clifton Emmerheiser's The Battle for the Priesthood, and, and I pray that you found it edifying. Thank you for listening. I will be here tomorrow night with the problem with Genesis 6, 1 through 4. I'll be here um, with Clifton again next Friday, and, and Clifton will be here with me tomorrow, and he'll be able to contribute to the program if he so desires. I'll be here again with Clifton next Friday, and the program topic is to be announced because I'm not positive what it's going to be yet. Pray, shall we? Thank you for listening, and good night, everybody.